Well, good morning again, and uh, we are glad you're with us. Um, I am going to be talking about a new series throughout Christmas that I want to tell you about. I'm curious, does anybody in the room watch Mike Tyson last night? Just our family. Okay. Okay, Josh and Josh. Yeah, I think... Uh, so if I, if I get a little, little sleepy up here, they always have the main event super late, but I grew up watching Mike Tyson. So, uh, I, you know, I won't say that he re- regained his former glory, uh, but it was fun to watch, um, and it was nice to know that someone older than me can still do that. So, um, anyways, this is the Christmas season. We do want you to play Christmas music. We're going to be doing more and more Christmas music here. Um, we are... As we know, in the middle of a pandemic, and for now, we are having in-person, you can come in-person to our service. I know a lot of folks are choosing to stay online, and that is absolutely fine. Um, We are just going to see what happens this week um, following Thanksgiving, and um, that has to do with the rest of the Christmas season on through the first of the year and our Christmas Adam service. So we hope to make some decision this week on exactly what Christmas Adam is going to, to be. Is that going to be an online only or are we going to have some in-person options for that? Uh, we will just see what, what happens. So um, continue to bear with us. Uh, we do miss you. I appreciate Ken and his sharing of that word, and, and we all, and to some degree, feel that sense that we just miss each other. We miss the, being able to walk in the room and hug each other and just not worry about, uh, is my hug going to kill you, you know? So uh, we just miss those times, and we're looking forward that hopefully that will be coming soon, and we can get back to doing life um, in some ways the way we used to, but in some ways we're not going to go back to the way we were. Uh, we talked a little about that last week. But this week, I want to talk to you about the good news, but I want to do it differently this Christmas. So each Christmas, we focus somehow on the Christmas story, um, as churches do all over the world. But I want to talk to you about the Christmas story a little differently, and more specifically, the good news is not just the good news or the arrival of the good news. When we read through history, we find that the good news at Christmas is a subversive Good news. So, if you want to follow along on you version, you're welcome to do that. I think that graphic was just up, and uh, and or you can just follow along with what's going on on your screen. Um, but I want you to know that this message of Christmas is not simply the message of a tree and songs and Christmas Adam. It's not just a time where we come together and give gifts. The message of Christmas is a subversive message that shook the foundations of the world. And for God was a shot across the bow of the prevailing empire of the world, which was the Roman Empire. I want to unpack a few things for you about what was going on at the time of Jesus' birth. But I want you to see that what, what God is intending for us is not that we just get through life and not that we just enjoy Christmas or Thanksgiving. Not just that we go through and we get a good job and we clock in and we clock out and then at some point hopefully we'll retire and then we die and then it's all over but there is a subversive message throughout the gospel and throughout the new testament that says you will change the world now if you've been with us for the last few weeks through jesus is essential um through love walk do and also when we talked about um Afterlife and the way that uh, the kingdom of God is coming to not to intersect and, and create a new earth. 
All of that is built into the Christmas story, and so all of this is somewhat of a culmination of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, um, but I want you to stay with me. I'm going to go through this a little bit quickly. I said I would get out on time today, and I don't know what I was saying, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it today. The, the word subversive, if you don't use it, you probably don't want your kids using this word about you, parents, but subversive in this adjective form means to seek or intend to subvert an established system or institution. Now, there's a part of childhood that seeks to subvert their parents from day one. Can I get an amen from any children in the room? Uh, no parents will probably amen that. But you knew that when you were kids, we somewhat subverted sometimes our parents' authority, undermined at times. And this is the story of Jesus and one that was undermining and subverting the message of the world's power in some ways that you may or may not realize. When you look at the story of Jesus and the teaching and actions of Jesus, we find that Jesus himself was subversive. He was not just a good guy, not just a good teacher, and didn't just do a few good things. He was subverting the prevailing power of the day, which was the Roman Empire, which spanned almost 1,500 years. The longest-running empire in the history of the world spanned almost 1,500 years, not in the power structure in which Jesus was born into. After about 500 years, it began to diminish, but it did not end for another 1,500 years after the birth of Jesus. Jesus was subversive. When he came, he did not mean to compete with Rome, but he did mean to replace it. And he didn't mean to do that with weapons or with armies. He meant to do it by bringing the kingdom of heaven here. And as we talked about through afterlife, the kingdom of heaven intersected the earth in the Garden of Eden, then intersected the earth through the tabernacle, intersected the earth through the temple. And ultimately what we look forward to is the kingdom of heaven completely replaces the earth as we know it. He was subversive. The kingdom wasn't meant to compete with Rome, but to replace it. He came to save us from our sins, but he also came to show you and I what a true kingdom, a true king, and a true leader would look like. I know we're in the middle of kind of a kingdom transition in our own nation here. We're transitioning kingdoms, or we will be transitioning kingdoms soon. What he intended to do was not to compete with the kingdoms of the world, but to say we are doing something completely different that makes them meaningless. He championed the outsider. He championed the immigrant. He championed the poor. He championed women. He championed people that were uh, seen as less than. And as we talked about through Love, Walk, Do, his goal and his call to us To walk humbly with our God was to elevate other people to a high standing. Not to de-elevate ourselves below others, but to elevate all people to a place of honor, a place of dignity, a place that is given to us because we radiate the image of our creator. He was a political revolutionary. And he was someone who intended to change the world in many ways. He showed slaves not how to not be a slave, but how to have meaning and purpose whenever they were subservient to a master, even though their understanding of slavery was somewhat different than our understanding of slavery today. He gave them meaning and purpose 
for their life. He said things like in Matthew 20, 16, the last will be first and the first last. That subverted the order that we think of in the world. The law wasn't just about behaving, but changing our hearts and how we treat people. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Interesting. He subverted just the idea that, okay, if I don't kill somebody, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but if you're angry with somebody, if you're making fun of somebody, if you're calling somebody a fool, you have equal condemnation as murder. He was subverting the way they saw the law, subverting the way they saw behavior. James taught us that when we get this message of the subversive Jesus, that we will minister to the poor. We will minister to the widow and we will minister to the orphan. Three groups of people that had no standing, no class, no dignity in a very harsh world. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus also said some crazy things and, and maybe we're feeling it a little more today than we normally would have, but that we are... We are residents here in this world. (laughs) But this is not our home. This is not our world anymore. In John 17, he said, I've given them your word that the word has hated, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's this weird idea that you live in this place and and Jesus said you will pay your taxes and you will go to work your jobs and you will care for people, but this is not your home. These are not your people anymore. You're going to subvert this kingdom. The disciples so bought in to the person and teachings of Jesus that they would give their lives to follow him to this life after death that he promised. So believed in what he was doing in the ministry of his life. This subversive good news would penetrate the world in ways that that the world couldn't fully understand and comprehend without knowing Jesus. I I find interesting, I was watching TV this week and uh, we're doing Advent. Hope, love, joy, and peace. Those are the foundational targets of when we talk about for Advent. Those are the things that for over 1,500 years the church has said what Jesus is bringing the world is hope, love, joy, and peace. This week we're talking about hope. Each week we're going to have another one. Hope, love, joy, and peace. The world seeks these things and wants these things but doesn't know where to get these things. I was watching TV. This is the Gap commercial for Black Friday for this year. You see some key words there. They are popping up throughout their Black Friday ad. Hope, love, joy, peace in their Christmas ad. Subversion means that we don't outright go out and tell someone, you will bend to my will or you will bend to my faith. Subversion says, I will show you a different way that is better until you begin asking the questions for yourself, what is better? 
Gap is not a Christian store. I don't know. I'm sure there are Christians that work there or maybe on the board. I don't know, but they themselves do not propagate Christian stuff. But the message of hope, love, joy, and peace have subverted into the consumer retail world through Gap. How subversive was this? Well, Jesus was born roughly 6 to 4 B.C. I want to give you some history. I want to talk about Rome. And then I want to read the Christmas story, and then we're going to be done. Jesus was born six, between 6 and 4 B.C. If you don't remember how ancient timelines worked, B.C. counted down to zero. A.D. counted up from zero. So we went from 6 to 4 to you know, five, four, three, two, one, zero, on. Jesus was born roughly not zero A.D., as it's often said. That timetable is not built solely on the birth of Jesus. But he was born somewhere a few years before, 6 to 4 B.C. Rome had been occupying Israel for 60 years. And Israel had only been free for about 100, 115 years from the Greeks. They had just begun to grow. Their, they were just beginning to expand their territories. They were being profitable again. They had been through a series of occupations, a series of being conquered, a series of times in which Jerusalem was destroyed, and then they finally got back, and they're finally growing, and life is good. You remember last week when we talked about the state of the church. When life is good, the church is good, because when we had some of the, the most peaceful, prosperous times in the history of our nation... The church was at its peak of people that were interested in faith things, and we have been in decline since then. When the world gets hard, sometimes the church seems a little less interesting. This is certainly true for Israel. For 60 years they have been conquered. They haven't actually heard from a prophet who said, I am speaking for the Lord for 400 years. God is dead. God's not listening. God's not talking. I don't know what's happening, but maybe this faith doesn't matter anymore. We have, during the midst of all of this time, before the birth of Jesus, the rise of what is considered the emperor cult. Let me tell you about the emperor cult. Emperor cult was based around the first emperor of Rome, which was Caesar Augustus, who had been emperor for a number of years before the birth of Jesus. He was the first Roman ruler that declared himself an emperor. And when we look back at poems and inscriptions and coins and images, statues, altars, and all kinds of things about Caesar Augustus, what we find is that he was worshipped as a god. Caesar Augustus was originally named Octavian. He changed his name to Augustus. It literally means worthy to be worshipped. I want you to imagine going to school and telling your friends, I want you all to begin calling me worthy to be worshipped. <laughs> How would that go with your friends? Probably not all that great, right? I mean, we all know somebody who feels that way about themselves. But if you outright say it, you probably wouldn't want to do that. Augustus changed his own name from Octavian to Augustus because Augustus means worthy to be worshipped. He made sure to take care of his senators, his soldiers, and his citizens first. So I want you to imagine, I remember when I was a kid and, and uh, war movies were all the rage. What was the name of the movie? Patrick Swayze. Some of you, Red Dawn, thank you. 
Red Dawn, Russia infiltrates the U.S. and takes over, and all of a sudden we are subservient. It was an interesting picture in the midst of the Cold War. But what Caesar Augustus did was he took care of the people who kept him in power, who allowed them to grow their borders, and that had grown to Israel. And so the way he would take care of them is he would take stuff from all of the people that they ruled. Heavy taxation. One of the reasons this nation is a nation today is because we did not like being taxed to, to the hilt and not having representation, taxation without representation. I'm sure you remember that from your time in school history. But he would take from all of the nations in which they had conquered. He would plunder them and he would give those goods to his citizens, his soldiers and his emperors. He would take land and give to the soldiers if they served for so many years. And every month, a citizen of Rome would get free grain. But it wasn't free. It came from somewhere. Somebody grew it. Somebody had to give it up. And Augustus took it from them and he gave it to his own people and his people loved him and they worshiped him. Their wealth was growing because he would plunder the nations and they would give that to his own people and they loved him and he named himself worthy to be worshiped. They took in slaves from those that they conquered. Interestingly, Augustus began to declare himself the Son of God. I want you to listen to the language of some things I'm going to read to you, and I want you to see if they sound a bit familiar to the birth of Jesus, and you will begin to see exactly how subversive Jesus is. Tacitus was a Roman historian. He lived about 20 years after the resurrection. He was born about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So he's looking back, talking about Augustus. This is what he says about Augustus. He says, in the framework of ancient liturgy, he was invoked like one of the ancient national gods of Rome. And he was surrounded with such an abundance of religious honor that many people thought that there was nothing left for the worship of of the heavenly gods. He received so much worship from the people, no one worshiped the other gods. That was what Tacitus said. Horace was a poet who died shortly before Jesus was born. He wrote this um, about the godship of Augustus. Normally, a, a reigning ruler or emperor would be named a god after they died, but this is what Horace said about Augustus. Upon you, Augustus, however, while still among us, We already bestow honor, set up altars to swear by in our name and confess that nothing like you will arise hereafter or has ever risen before now. We worship you now while you're alive because there has been no one as great as you before, no one as great as you after. When Rome would travel, the unifying slogan within The boundaries and within those that loved Augustus, the universal slogan was, Caesar is Lord. He was called the bringer of peace or the prince of peace. He was called the savior of the world. He was celebrated as the euangelion, which is where we get the word gospel or the word good news or evangelism. Those who bring good news. It is said about Caesar Augustus that he brought good news to the world. Any of this sound familiar? The preend description, or inscription, it's not description, inscription from Alexander the Great said this, the most divine Caesar 
we should consider equal to the beginning of all things. For when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward disillusion, he restored it once more and gave to the whole world a new aura, Caesar, the common good fortune of all, the beginning of life and vitality. All the cities unanimously adopt the birthday of the divine Caesar as the new beginning of the year, whereas providence, which has regulated our whole existence, has brought our life to the climax of perfection and giving to us the Emperor Augustus. In other words, all that God had been doing through all creation and all time was to bring us our ruler, Augustus. I feel like a lot of leaders and politicians feel this way about themselves, by the way. And whereas having become God manifested, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times and surpassing all the benefactors who preceded him. And whereas finally the birthday of the God Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news. The coming of Augustus was good news for the world. The Roman Empire was called the kingdom of Caesar. This period of time for about 200 years was called the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace or the peace of Rome. But the peace of Rome came at a cost for anyone who wasn't Roman. You were tortured, you were killed, you were terrified, you lived in fear to rise up against Rome. And as we look through the history of Israel, the reason that Israel was finally destroyed and that we read later in the New Testament about the dispersion, the diaspora in which all of the, the, the Jews had to flee their home, because of two revolts that happened, one about 60 years before Jesus was born, the first revolt, and Rome put them on lockdown, but he allowed them to exist. He put a king to rule them. His name was, does anybody know who that was? Herod. Thank you. And it said that Herod was loved by Augustus, and Herod bestowed honors upon Augustus. And it said that Herod grew the nation of Israel under Roman rule to become a prosperous place for, guess who? Rome, not for the Jews. Pax Romana was not a true peace. It was said by some historians, it was called a wilderness. The Romans created a wilderness and called it peace. Now, I want you to remember all that I've just said about Augustus, and then I want you to think about the language that is used to announce the coming of Jesus, and you begin to see how subversive Jesus was. This was a warning shot to the Roman Empire. This was not just biblical flowery language. Jesus' very birth was subversive. He subverted Caesar's language to serve his own purpose. Luke 2, you've heard this before. I'm going to read just 14 verses. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered so they could be taxed, so he could give his people everything so they would continue to worship him as a god. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. As we have talked for Christmas after Christmas after Christmas, a a place of meager birth for someone who had no authority, no power, and no way to take care of themselves. 
in the time of Augustus. And then in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Then the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And listen to what the angel said. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Like we take that phrase, and I, can, I know what good news is. Good news is the gospel. The good news is the salvation of Jesus Christ. But to proclaim that in the midst of Augustus is to proclaim that Augustus is not good news. This is good news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, not just the favor of Augustus. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, not Augustus, who was considered the Savior of the world, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not Caesar is Lord, but Christ is Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Because remember, there wasn't even enough worship in Rome to worship any God in the heavenly places, because Augustus took it all. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Because Augustus is not the bringer of peace any more than any world ruler is. Peace for a world ruler always comes at the end of coercion. It is not the kind of peace that Jesus intended to bring. Jesus' subversive plan was to undermine the authority and agenda of the kingdom of Caesar and replace it with the kingdom of God. You may say, well, so was Jesus just here for Caesar? Was this just all about Augustus? Well, of course not. Caesar represents every world leader that ever has been or ever will be. Our hope that some politician or some government or some world order is somehow going to make life good and wonderful and give us love, joy, hope, and peace. The reality is, is that any president of our own nation is in some ways Caesar. Any leader in any other nation in the world is in some ways Caesar. Jesus came to say the world institutions cannot give you what you are looking for nor what they promise. It doesn't take you take long to live in this world to recognize that that's true. Jesus came to say all world. It's just that Rome was the one at the time. All world kingdoms are going to fall. The Roman Empire is the longest running empire in the history of the world, save the kingdom of God. It lasted 1,500 years. We're doing good to be anywhere over 200 years as a nation. If Jesus delays his return, our nation is not going to be here at some point based on everything we know about history. It may be 1,500 years from now. No nation can bring peace, hope, love, and joy like Jesus can. Early believers would take this to heart. This is where it hits us today. I want to declare that this baby, Jesus, is Lord, not Caesar. 
He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God. He is the bringer of good news, not Caesar. And this put him in direct rebellion to the authority and rulers of their time. Now this is what happens. Luke 4, 5, and 8 tells us about the temptation of Jesus. And this puts it in a little more perspective than maybe we from our American kind of consumeristic idea of looking at power, control, and affluence. It says, The devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Well, which kingdom is he really talking about here? Like, There's only one that matters at this point in the world, and it's Rome. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and he said, To you I will give all authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He's talking about Rome. So why talk about this at Christmas? I want to encourage you to look at Christmas differently this year. Jesus was subverting everything happening within the world. What does it look like for us to subvert the world today? What does it look like for us to subvert the idea of Christmas today? Is it that we go into debt and we buy as much as we can for people that really have all that they need? Or are there ways that we follow the leading of Jesus and we find ways that we give to people that Jesus would have said, go and take care of this group of of people? Jesus said this about himself in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor talks about captives he talks about the blind he talks about the oppressed the poor because that's what jesus came to show us there is a calling for us to elevate people to a place of dignity and respect as co-image bearers of god i'm not suggesting that you don't buy christmas gifts for your family or your friends But what if you invest in others? That's one of the reasons we do Christmas giving every year. That's why we're doing the the food pantry giving boxes. That's why we're helping with Room in the Inn. And and this year's harder than other years in order to do the Christmas giving just because we don't see each other all together. How can we subvert the world by caring for the people Jesus cared for? He cared for the poor. He cared for the sick. He came and said that, that the Samaritan had value in a, in a culture that the Jews felt Samaritans shouldn't even be alive. But yes, they have value. He sat and talked to a woman at a well. He intervened for a woman who, by the law, should have been stoned for adultery. And yet he showed her love. And he stood in between those who would judge her and this woman to show that she is loved and she is cared for. How do we care for people that no one else cares about? I think one of the challenges we face is that Christians have gotten a name for not loving certain types and groups of people. What would it look like to truly subvert the expectation of what a Christian is in this world that we love all people, that we show dignity to all people, 
How can we subvert the world by caring for those who are poor, for the immigrant, for the enslaved, and for the impressed? How can we do this at Christmas? Well, some ways we do Christmas giving here can work, but I want to encourage you, find ways to do that. This subversive Jesus that we're going to talk about over these next few weeks, and we're going to look at some of his subversive teachings. And he would enter, introduce those teachings like, and say something like, you have heard, but I tell you, subverting. He would teach and he would say something and he would say something to the effect of, those who have ears, let them hear. Because he was subverting what they would naturally come to understand on their own. The subversive Jesus is the true king who brings true freedom into the world. Father, I pray that you would help us to see others with the same love, care, and conviction with which you've given us. I pray that it would never be said of us that there is any group of people that is not deserving of love, someone who is not deserving of our attention, someone who we should not run to in times of need. I pray you would show us how we can do that this Christmas. Not that we're subverting the election or election results or things like that, but we are subverting the way the world works. We know where the author of love, joy, hope, and peace is. I pray that you would help us to show that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.